Welcome to Times New Women, a podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world for women today. I'm Molly. And I'm Ellie. And thanks for being with us. Ellie, so great to be back with you. I know we're on a, a little hiatus, but because both of us were touring Europe, like the wonderful women that we were um, and are. So I'm just, yeah, a little bit of a break back at it. And maybe you can talk about what we're here to discuss today. Yeah, of course. I am so excited to talk about empowerment and I've spent way too much time thinking about this and spoiler alert, it's another scam. (laughs) Everything we talk about, (laughs) but I want everyone else to see the scam that it is. Um, So I'm really excited to talk about this, but yeah. So what is empowerment? Um, It's interesting, like empowerment used to describe a socio-political process that was actually about shifting power between and across individuals and social groups to flatten inequalities. So it was actually meant to try to change these inequalities. But now empowerment's just this buzzword that we hear everywhere, and it's now devoid of its original meaning. So empowerment's no longer about actual shifts in power, but it's just the perceptions of power which is what I don't like. (laughs) So like one example is in the 1990s, um, the empowerment rhetoric, like girl power that was being used to sell products. And it was under the guise of reclaiming femininity and expressing independence. But did that actually change the dynamic? Did that actually increase the power that women had like i don't think so i think it just sold products and was a trend um so perception of power in and of itself might not be harmful like if it increases someone's confidence great but it's also kind of saying that like women we don't need to expect any changes in our society or workplace or environment it's just saying everything is great but women go (laughs) pretend that you have more power um some people argue that empowerment messaging today is pushing a neoliberalist agenda focusing on women's continuous individualistic self-improvement through books magazines and online media like everything targeted towards women improving yourself and women trying to have it all um but really empowerment messaging is trying to convey that women have agency choice and the ability to succeed in life that's like a fantastic overview of it and i have to say i went hard on the neoliberal feminism i like read some incredible stuff and also found some books that i absolutely have to read after this one article, which was by Chi Nyo of Medium, which was really quoting a lot of the work of um, feminist media scholar Sarah Bennett Weiser, talking about exactly what you said, neoliberal feminism, um, the term coined by Catherine Rottenberg uh, to explain the rise of feminism that encourages individual women to focus on themselves and their own aspirations. 
And really the goal mm-hmm. of that is so feminism can be circulated and sold in the marketplace. So putting all of the onus on the individual, but also women are only empowered when they're economically mm-hmm. capable. So under a neoliberal feminist agenda, women empowerment organizations, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this, uh, such as Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In or Girls Who Code, um, yes. <laughs> according to Benet Weiser, focus mainly on making girls and women better economic subjects. Women are encouraged to see themselves as human capital, invest in their mm-hmm, own confidence mm-hmm. and competence, but the power in girl power is exclusively consumer power. So we're not challenging, like you said, the structures and the inequalities. We're really mm-hmm. just saying like, you can be a better functioning member of a capitalist agenda. And there's a lot, like I, I read, we can touch on this later too, about the Me Too movement as well and how that you know, had a neoliberal feminist leaning because it really focused on the experience of individuals largely we know white celebrities and punishing a few prominent men, but it really missed out Mm -hmm. on critiquing the structure, Mm -hmm. the patriarchal structural in place that enabled and protected that. You know, when we look at things like empowerment, we're really saying that we're focusing on empowerment without focusing on the structures that keep women disempowered. And we're helping to perpetuate the injustice the movement actually claims to fight. Yeah, it's a scam. Everything's a scam. I think we need to rename the podcast to Scam Alert. Reading this, and I mean, you and I are around the same age. We truly grew up in the girl power era. And like, it was, there was, (laughs) I don't think there was any sort of, you know, gender equality uh, policy changes Mm -hmm. that came out of that. I don't think, you know, companies got more, you know, equitable because of the Spice Girls. So. Oh my God. That was awesome, Molly. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So now I can kind of dig into a bit more like what is empowerment messaging specifically. So it's kind of characterized by two features that we sort of talked about. Well, we talked about the first feature, which is focus on individual action, like you said. So calling on women as individuals to succeed in life and to achieve. And this can then extend to like overcoming gender inequality. It's kind of like women, you can do something about it. So you should be doing something about it. And the second characteristic of empowerment messaging is that it's really positively framed and future oriented. So women being urged to improve themselves and change the world for the better. Like we already said, this might seem supportive, but it's actually harmful because it's just supporting the current inequality and emphasizing individualism and personal responsibility rather than actually advocating for changes to the structures to improve gender equality. Um, some examples. So yeah, like you said, (laughs) Sheryl Sandberg, her 2013 book Lean In is a big example of empowerment messaging, really urging women to take charge of their careers and overcome their own internal barriers by taking more risks and being more confident in the workplace, Um, which, you know, might be easier for a rich white woman to say. and some others (laughs) and just there's all sorts of headlines you can probably see them in most magazines like empowered women breaking barriers to success and um everyday superheroes like it's just kind of 
highlighting these, hey, look, these individuals have achieved it, so so can you, and not talking about the issues, the societal issues, and trying to change those. And the fact that those women are the anomaly, not the norm, because of the yes. level of disproportionate burden of domestic labor or pay inequality or, you know, paid family leave. Like, despite all of those things, the women succeeded, but they're making it seem like they just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and just like stepped over yes. these barriers to get there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I had read an article once about a woman who is succeeding in this male dominated industry. And I just like in the article, I forget what it was, but she referenced how, you know, she had like a house cleaner or something. It's like, okay, so <laughs> not everyone can hire out these domestic duties. That's it. <laughs> like, yes. Not, yeah. Uh, I had the same experience just to interject. Uh, yeah. I had a, a boss years ago who was a prominent woman in a very male dominated organization. And then I read an article where they were like, how did you get to where you are? And she said, um, learn to play golf and get a nanny. And I was like, oh great. Thank you. Like even at the time, which was, you know, I was like a baby then I was like, wow, that is a really terrible advice for women trying to like make it in an extremely male dominated industry. But I think you know, hopefully we'd have a bit more tools to critique that. But even then it was like, oh, that's a gross answer. Yeah. Oh my God. And so there hasn't actually been a lot of research, at least in psychology, looking at the impacts of empowerment messaging, but there was a pretty cool paper published in 2019 or 2018, Kim Fitzsimmons K. It's called Lean In Messages, Increase Attributions of Women's Responsibility for Gender Inequality. And so they took messages from Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In book and they had participants read them. Um, and there were different conditions. So some of them only read messages that were really talking about the individual, like overcoming personal internal barriers. And then there were other conditions. There was, so there were other conditions where they looked at external barriers, messaging, so about the systems and the workplace, and there were combined barrier conditions. But all that to say that they found that um, people who were exposed to empowerment messaging, like the individualistic messaging, they did have an increased um, perception of women's empowerment, which that again, in and of itself might not be harmful, but it also increased their perceptions of women's responsibility to solve gender inequality and women's responsibility for causing gender inequality. So that's kind uh, of, okay. yeah, I might've jumped the gun. Cause I was talking about that a bit, like this idea that if women are empowered to do something, then they should be doing something about it, whether or not they caused it. Although in this case, they also felt that women caused it. Well, I, I saw the same thing in my, you know, research before this, where it was saying that studies demonstrate that when a message conveys a potential solution to inequality, people start to conflate the solution with the cause. And then they start to attribute mm. responsibility for the inequality to the people who did not create the problem, which usually ends up further oppressing um, and disenfranchising uh, groups that face oppression and marginalization. Organizations and policymakers 
that are putting out these empowerment messages, they can actually be more harmful for racialized low-income immigrant and other communities that are already facing marginalizations. It's one thing for us to recognize the scam, but it's another thing to recognize the fact that, for lack of a better term, ignorant empowerment can really be doing real harm to these groups because people can start to conflate the solution with the cause. So that was something scary that I saw um, in my reading. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm glad that you saw other research that um, supported that point. I haven't. (laughs) One thing I don't know if we wanted to touch on, but that I kind of like veered into like femvertising. Yeah, tell me about that. Uh, Like, of course, because I love all my like reality TV and pop culture, but (laughs) femvertising, which is advertising that employs a pro-female talent messages and imagery to empower um, women and girls. You know, we've grown up with this, but I looked a little bit more into it. And I, I think we remember, you know, the Dove Beauty campaign and things like that. I think we're seeing that even more recently, yeah. but when brands start marketing themselves as pro-women empowerment or they're inclusive, but when they don't truly incorporate these values in their brand message, or even worse, they don't even fully understand it. They're really minimizing and distorting the struggle of people who identify as women, trans, non-binary, assigned female at birth, something that is actually harmful to the intersectional feminist movement because it just dilutes it into another commodity. So it's just like, you know, we love women of all shapes and sizes, but when you're not examining the intersectionality and you're taking an oversimplification of feminism, Mm. it creates the sense that people can be an ally just by consuming a brand or behaving a certain way. And let's be real, feminism Mm -hmm. takes a lot of work. Like it takes a lot of uncomfortable conversations. And I think people think that they might be doing something by buying Dove shampoo. So I have a lot of feelings about that where I'm just like, there's so much work that needs to be done with this. And, you know, today's intersectional feminism should be working hard for trans rights you know, we should be broadening mm. our understanding of gender huh. um, and fem- being a feminist is a political claim. You are telling the world, you know, what you believe by saying that. So when like a cell phone company tells you you're feminist, like they better be doing the most mm-hmm. internally and externally to prove that and living up to that. And it's not just something to sell more phones. I know this is a podcast, but my arms are waving. I am like sweating. <laughs> I'm like, I feel very strongly about this because you know, a lot of these companies are like paying millions in lawsuits for discriminating against women or they're perpetuating horrible beauty standards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they're also turning around and benefiting against being like, we love your cellulite. Also (laughs) like hate your body and buy more stuff. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing this up. Like I totally bought into that. Uh, Same. (laughs) I was like, those are great companies, but you're right. Like it's not actually making any changes. They're just uh, using that idea to sell more products. That's it. And I found a great website called Faux Feminist. Um, I think that's what it's called. And they kind of rate advertisements where they will go on a scale from lip service to legit. Um, And they'll like kind of analyze. So they did one about lean cuisine. Oh, We did this horrible horrible staged social media experiment um talking about i don't know women were going into this like fake grocery store they set up and they could select certain things like eight hours of sleep a night three kids whatever and 
the whole gist of it was when they went in with other women, they made decisions that were better for them. So they said like 89% of women are influenced by or empowered by women in their life. And they're like, how gross is it that a company that sells low fat frozen meals, (laughs) you know, and is part of the diet industry, which literally sells Mm self-hatred and not a single man in the commercial to talk about like division of labor, anything just so Mm -hmm. gross. The fact that this advertising campaign was ever approved, but it's just the irony was completely lost of this organization that was completely built on the backs of, you know, having, oh, it was called the having it all campaign. Sorry, I missed that, which I know Mm. you touched on at the beginning, which is truly another scam because how often are men asked if they are balancing Mm -hmm. responsibilities, but now they're saying women can have it all when they support each other and no talk about the structural problems, uh, in that. And also it's just ironic that it's truly a diet company that is pushing that on women. So, uh, fuck you lean cuisine. (laughs) Yes. What can we do about empowerment messaging? Is there an alternative? That's a question that I struggle with. Like, I don't know what you think, because it's not like we should be going out there and be like, women, you can't have it all. (laughs) Like, don't aim for things. Like, I don't think that's the solution. (laughs) But I think we need to be real. (laughs) Anyone listening? Do you know what we need to do? (laughs) Like, my only idea is what, like, involve men? or just call things out. I don't know. I need to think this through more, but like, yes, women aim for your dreams, but know that society sucks (laughs) and you'll be facing barriers along the way until we make these bigger changes and create gender equality. I mean, I'm all for burning down the patriarchy and dismantling capitalism. I feel like that might be a good start. Like just get rid of these like hugely oppressive structures that are forcing women into these roles. Obviously Mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to do, but you're on the right track when you're saying be Mm -hmm. aware of it, even in terms of, you know, the advertisements that were fed constantly to just see the Mm -hmm. bullshit in those where you're saying like, you can be confident and beautiful. If you buy this product, you can be Mm -hmm. confident and beautiful. If you only meet the standards that society has set for you, like see where you're being sold that shit from companies that just want to make money. And Mm -hmm. I know it's such a cliche thing to say that, I don't know, someone posted about all of the like beauty companies being owned Mm -hmm. by old white men. And you're like, yeah, for sure. People are just the history of capitalism is just men making money off of women. I don't know. And even when I was looking at the femvertising mm. stats, women make 70 to 80% apparently of the household spending decisions. So of course they're going to cater mm-hmm. that, but so be aware of that. And also I think let's like read more, educate each other and work for structural change. I know it's easier said than done, but that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is like just throwing a few women on a board of directors is not sufficient. I think there needs to be real deep critiques mm-hmm. of the structures and power that we have in place and the lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. Go back to Me Too and they're saying, yeah, it's great that five whole men were held accountable, but what about the industry, uh, you know, the political sphere that let the men operate like this? So no easy answers, but also don't settle for the easy answers. Yeah. Yeah, A shampoo is not going to 
create an even distribution of labor in your household. Okay. That's turning into a bit of a rant. Don't completely throw everything out. I think women still need to advocate for themselves. I think they need to ask for more money. I think they need to hype up their work they're doing. Like those things are never a bad thing, but they need to be coupled with that level of activism at the political and structural level. So anyways, but then there's people like you, Ellie, doing great work, doing great research to say empowerment messaging, kind of a scam, also kind of harmful Mm -hmm. in some instances. Maybe there is a better way to reach our goals. So there's people doing a lot of great work. It's maybe easy to get down sometimes with the current climate, but also stay hopeful that there's a lot of people and there looks like there's some pretty incredible literature out there. So I'm so happy that we got to look into this topic because be it and neoliberal feminism have a reckoning. Let me tell you, I have so much to do on that. <laughs> I was just going to share one quote because you're usually the quote person. Um, it's not an inspirational quote, but I just love it that Michelle Obama is quoted as saying, it's not always enough to lean in because that shit doesn't work all the time. <laughs> So even she sees through it and shares the sentiment. (laughs) I love it. Also, how amazing is that for someone to call out the bullshit of that? Mm -hmm. That's perfect. I'm applauding. (laughs) Um, But what are you what were you into this week or this month? (laughs) Oh, I didn't even prep anything. I thought we were just going to talk about love is blind. (laughs) I finished it so fast. (laughs) This is the first time I think I've caught it as the season was being released. I'm usually kind of behind and then I can binge the whole thing. But this time I actually had to like, oh no, I have to wait a week for the next episode. (laughs) So it was painful. It was torture. Okay. What were your thoughts? Who did you like? Who did you not like? Okay. Honestly, this season I felt I was less interested in most of the couples. (laughs) Like it wasn't that. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin. Oh my gosh. Okay. I should have reviewed their names before this. What was... Describe them. I might remember. Um. Oh, my gosh. I loved her. The speech pathologist. Nancy? Yes. Yeah, I loved okay. her. I, I love Nancy so much. And I wanted her to say no so badly to Bartise because uh, she deserves so much better. So I was relieved, I guess, that Bartise said no to, like... So she didn't have to marry him, but I was like, why? Like, I was, yeah, I just felt like she wanted to be married so badly that she was going to tolerate um, less than she deserved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like there was like a level of like Stockholm syndrome with that mm. marriage thing where I was like, he was awful. Yes. And I mean, even just the, stuff we saw where he was like, I'm not attracted to her body. Like I can get there. And I'm like, excuse me. And then she's going to go up and be like, yeah, I would love to marry you. And I was like, this guy is terrible. And also I have to say the abortion Mm. chats were the worst thing I have ever seen. I mean, I'm glad they discussed it, but also listening to him and the fact that he brought it up with his family again, too, just to like throw her under the bus. I was like, this guy sucks so bad. Um, Oh, my gosh. But even the chat, I don't know if you remember, he met with Nancy's brothers and they said something like, how would you feel if she put on a lot of weight? (gasps) And he's like, I wouldn't let her get there or something. It's like, oh, you're the worst. 
And like, that is best part of the relationship. Like, you know what I mean? He should be over the moon for her. And the fact that he can't even say, you know, if she gained 10 pounds, I would still be into her. So (laughs) awful. Those brothers had him like down to a T immediately. I loved it. I loved it. Yes. I loved her family's reaction. Uh, That was so nice to see how much they cared. They, yeah, that's it. Exactly. And hopefully she's just going to maybe get some therapy and realize that she's like truly the most beautiful person ever. Yes. Oh my goodness. It just, I mean, it was just really stunning to me to see someone like that amazing in so many ways. And she clearly had a great relationship with all the other women. You know what I mean? Like she was a fantastic person. And then to just see her cut down by this guy that, and when Mm -hmm. she was, um, what was it? Andrew, the guy that came to that one party. (laughs) Oh, can't even, even, that guy was the worst too. But also what, like yeah. when she was talking to him and then Bartise came over and was like kind of jealous, but she had obviously been crying for like 45 minutes. And he was like, why are you guys over here for so long? And I was like, I hate this guy. I hate him so much. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. But I have to say Ugh. obsessed with Alexa and Brennan. I have seen her okay. on TikTok yes. now. She is incredible. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Love her. They were so cute. Like. Yeah. That's why I we watch the show. Like, I'm sorry, we don't yeah. watch it for Colleen and Matt, which was like so problematic. Oh, so many oh red flags. God. So many. I legit, I'm so scared for her. Like, I'm worried he's going to be violent. Well, I mean, like physically violent. He's so, I don't Did know, you see all the like stuff in the news or, you know, after the reunion episode and people were like, man she looked so terrified in that and he was just like the way he was sitting even over her on the couch was just so overbearing yes I think I didn't read anything but that's exactly it yeah there was a lot of stuff on social media I say in the news I meant social media uh (laughs) (laughs) about just how people or even like relationship therapists chiming in on it but just saying like there's some really scary looking behaviors here and then Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, I wish um, that they had have called out his behavior on the reunion show. They really they went so hard on Cole. Um, yeah. But they never said to Matt, like, what's with you threatening mm. to leave and packing a suitcase every time yeah. you have an argument? Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, yeah. But also, the only other thing I really thought about the show was, frankly, how incredible the women were, like in every aspect. Yes. And how yes. truly mediocre most of the men yeah. were on it. I know. Like, what happened? What, like, Cole. How, why? Th- I mean, Cole is really, like, one of the worst examples. But I screamed when I saw the flies in the toilet. Do you remember that Oh, part? my God. I know. I know. <laughs> that was awful. Oh, like. Oh, my God. Just, yeah. And clearly people on there to be famous. It was just exhausting, like, to mm. watch. I was like, can oh, they just cast that. people that want to be in love I mean everyone goes on the bachelor to get famous let them go into that franchise (laughs) I'm here for Alexa and Brennan level of love like come on yes oh my gosh the only thing that's like keeping me going is the fact that like Lauren and Cameron from season one were like the best they're still together as far as I know and so I'm like it can work (laughs) come on find more like them so but Alexa and Brennan I think yeah like at that level too hopefully I hope so and also I saw that Lauren was calling out the franchise love is blind for not giving black women enough 
like edits. She said like you show oh. you show tons of black women in the previews and then they're never in the show. So I was like, I really huh. like that she came off of that show. It worked for her, but she's still there calling it as she sees it. So I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. because it's true. Like, I don't know. I mean, you see so little. I mean, they edit so heavily in the show, but I think there needs mm-hmm. to be critiques of it as well. And I hope that they get some sort of therapist or counselor on for the next season for oh, even instances nice. like Matt and Colleen, because they should just put him in a room to talk to someone because ew, there are some situations that yeah. seemed like legitimately dangerous. So, and did you see that um, SK has been spotted with someone that is not Raven already? Okay, so luckily I have a friend who stays on top of all of this. (laughs) (laughs) So she um, screenshotted and sent me the day that they announced that they weren't together anymore. Um, And I was like, what's going on? And she said, there's rumors of cheating, but that's as much as I knew. Oh, I saw like an Instagram pic of like him with another woman and like right after the reunion and people are like man sk you really just needed to keep it on the dl and you could have kept this like charade of you and raven together for like the money mm-hmm. but i guess not so and i i really liked that he always seemed to like hype her up and say great stuff about her but i guess it mm-hmm. didn't work out although yeah he was in california and she was in what where was it denver yeah. uh somewhere in i thought it was texas yeah yeah so Dallas or Austin or something like that yeah bit um, of a distance there yeah but I you know I was really impressed by Raven she there's a lot more to her than like jumping jacks yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's it like I guess in the beginning they made her seem pretty superficial but I don't know I think there's a lot there I agree I totally agree I absolutely thought she was totally wacky uh the way they edited her at the beginning and then she came out you know you got a lot more I don't know insight into her personality and when she's like so it's true I like seeing more of her also she's literally the most beautiful person oh my god (laughs) yes it like hurts to look at her at the reunion I was like why did they put her on my eyeballs are burning looking at her so (laughs) yeah so 100% (laughs) weirdest description um on that note should we wrap it up for this week yeah that sounds good anyone listening i don't know if you have any comments or thoughts or things that you'd like us to talk about you can always send us an email at timesnewwomanpodcast at gmail.com thank you i just thanks for bringing your expertise to this i'm always happy to learn a bit more um and try to become a better feminist and yes please send emails about uh with your ideas and any feedback and yeah thank you for listening we'll see you next time bye